Hello, and welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, a show about issues concerning the energy industry. My name is Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, are my co-hosts, Christine Richards. How are you today, Christine? Good. How are you, Dylan? I'm doing pretty good. It's earlier than we normally record, so I got to see the sunrise. Nice. And it was your birthday yesterday, so happy, happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. And we are also joined, of course, by Aaron Hardick. How are you today, Aaron? I'm pretty good, Dylan. I have to admit, I am slightly bummed. It's been cold and rainy in Austin for the past three or four days. And normally around this time of year, it starts to get warm and we see some warmer temperatures. And I'm a Texan and I'm ready for those warm temperatures. So a little bummed about about the raininess and the fog, but um, I'm happy to be podcasting this morning. Yeah, we never really podcast so early, but I'm, I'm excited to do this as always. We have a fun guest this week uh, from Entergy. He is the Vice President of Energy Technology and Analytics, Rayford Smith. How are you doing, Rayford? Hey, good morning, and uh, glad to be part of the call today, and uh, certainly appreciate the opportunity to chat. Oh, we're glad to, happy to have you. Uh, so because, Rayford, you're an analytics guy, I think we'd like to talk a little bit about some data analytics. Uh, with the increase of smart devices in people's homes and a plethora of startups and pilot programs involving real-time data analytics through things like AI and blockchain, uh, what would you say is the current state of data analytics in energy, just as a starting off point? Yeah, I, I, I'd say for, for us, we're, we're in the beginning stages. Uh, we've got a roadmap developed that uh, really covers the breadth of our enterprise, uh, over 142 use cases from nuclear, fossil hydro, transmission, distribution, customer, and shared services. We've identified our analytics partners and are currently building out the infrastructure to move data, store data, uh, govern the data, turn it into analytical insights, and are working on our first use cases. So uh, we're also hiring. Uh, that's always a fun task here in analytics. So um, we're at the beginning, but it's a really exciting beginning, and uh, I I'm really excited about where we are. What are some of the first cases you're looking at, Rayford? Well, some of the first cases are really all around the, the customer experience. Uh, for example, we don't have AMI meters yet. They'll start to roll out next year. Um, but we are already working on things like high bill alerts, next best action, um, and some predictive work for the distribution system. Um, all of these really around um, how do we create new insights, new products, new capabilities. Um, those were the ones the company really wanted to prioritize first. Um, thinking about prioritization, we looked at a whole bunch of different ways uh, to do it, but the ones that ultimately we settled on due to the company's focus on the customer was really start to start to crank out the information and the capabilities for customer first. So how would you say, based on your observations, that uh, the rest of the industry is doing? Would you say that Entergy is like keeping up with the rest of the industry, kind of ahead of the curve, a little bit behind the curve? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the state of the industry is everyone's, everyone's roughly at about the same starting point. We all have some beginning staff, some beginning data, and some beginning capabilities. Um, but I don't think we've coalesced or matured yet as a group um, into terms of what's the architecture, what's the capability, and what do we need to be doing. Often, 
what I see at other utilities is a focus on the data-rich enterprises, and usually that's things related to AMI, <clears throat> where they uh, where they tend to focus. Um, and to me, that that's both an inherent advantage and disadvantage. The advantage is you got lots of data and plenty of low-hanging fruit. But the disadvantage is, um, you know, if that's all you build out to do, um, you tend to become a little myopic, and the infrastructure is a little brittle. Um, and that can raise costs later for you and make it more difficult to pivot when the enterprise's capabilities or data um, in other areas really catches up. And that's the part we're we're trying to make sure we keep in mind here. And we're not focusing just on customer or data-rich areas. The intent for our company is really to uh, set up a capability that can just as easily do cybersecurity as it can do asset management, as it can do customer um, or even HR-related issues. We we want to have that ability to reuse our math, our capabilities um, across the enterprise as a whole. And I think that's that's where we're a little different than than what the rest of the industry is doing. A lot of the utilities that I, that I end up talking with, um, and and even you know solution providers, they they often talk about that getting that quick win, right? Getting that first project that that gets momentum and and building on it from there and it seems like i mean you're definitely taking a, a different strategy uh relative to that i mean what would you recommend for utilities that maybe have you know a, a really successful um part of their organization um that's using data analytics in an effective way to to really grow that within their organization i think that's the big challenge i see for a lot of companies is how do we kind of get it to that next level and think bigger picture about it yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Um, for us, uh, the key was to really sell the vision and and develop the strategy, um, basically from the C-suite down. Um, so our, our first pitch and uh, a success was really around getting the CEO, CFO, head of operations, et cetera, all of those folks on board um, with what we were doing. And then um, we we ran a series of workshops really across the enterprise um, to identify uh, use cases, opportunities for new benefits for the company um, beyond just O&M savings, which is the usual initial focus, but can be a trap. In doing that, those 142 use cases that we developed, we found all sorts of latent analytics capability at the organization, um, but also a whole bunch of needs that individually um, weren't cost effective. Uh, but when we applied and looked at um, you know a more enterprise approach to analytics, we found a lot of those easily became cost effective, and we could essentially spread the benefits uh, from one project to help fund the, uh, another, and our cost to implement was significantly lower by taking that approach. To me, that would be my advice to those other companies is find a C-suite champion, preferably uh, the CFO or the CEO. Um, once you've got them on board, work with the other portions of the organization to identify their, their analytics needs and put some quantification of value to um, what that looks like and then put together a more enterprise um, approach, uh, whether it's the tools themselves or the overall benefit you think you can derive. And I think you'll find 
um, your your analytics program can be as an enterprise can be far more cost effective. Rayford, you wrote in an article, I, I saw it online, uh, too often I've seen companies forcing new capabilities to fit into an old way of doing business. It's vital for us to allow the technology and new capabilities to take the lead in our transformation rather than having them lock us into our historic mindset. Can you clarify what that means? I mean, isn't the very use of this technology an acknowledgement of the changing business model? Um, to some degree, but you know, I'll tell you, I've spent a lot of time internally and, and with other companies that when we think about analytics, the first thing most people's mind goes to are, is reporting. Um, and they, they tend to think about they want an analytic, um, but only to the extent that it, it augments an existing process. When we start saying, hey, this analytic may um, eliminate the need for that process, or it might generate something new. Um, that's where the real change management exercise comes in. And the word of caution that I was providing there was really that, that companies, instead of thinking about this more as, uh, you know, technology, is it R, is it Python, are we doing Hadoop, is it in the cloud, whatever, that's a, a bunch of um, technology and really not the main purpose here. The main purpose to me is more of the strategic narrative with the senior executives about um, how they want to change the company. Together with process automation, um, analytics has the potential to radically alter how we do our business and eliminate many of the things that were manual um, or slow today. Uh, we can create insights that can change the company significantly and change the experience our customers have with us. And that, that's why I put that word of caution out was, um, don't don't think about analytics as just a way to keep doing what you're doing. Make it a disruptive force, you know, a positive disruptive force within your business um, to let the technology really help you do what you do far better than you do it today. It's actually interesting this topic. I'm I'm reading or before um, we came on. I was reading this article this morning that came out in Utility Dive called "If It Ain't Broke, Don't Fix It." NYPA transforms utility maintenance with the data-driven approach. And this is really this article is really focused on um, <clears throat> using insights to create efficient efficiencies more on the back end, on the, on the operational side. And Rayford, um, you were actually on a webinar with me, I think it was about a week and a half ago, really talking about what analytics mean for the back end of utilities. I think right now we see a lot around how do you engage the customer? How do you leverage data insights to engage the customer? But you're really talking about right now, um, how do you build out a long-term strategy that's actually going to impact the business model? There's a staggering um, statistic in here that says, uh, according to the, the director, Rich Gaines of, of NYPA's um, new integrated smart operations center, he says um, by some estimates that he thinks utilities are only using about one to 5% of, um, I guess, the data that they're getting and turning that into to insights. What do you think about that, that the estimate the estimation that data, that utilities are really only using about one to five percent of the data that they're getting from their systems and, and turn it into insights. Yeah, that, that that actually sounds about right. And I'll tell you, it's mostly because how we use data today as an enterprise is primarily around a transaction, right? Whether it's a customer paying their bill, whether it's you know um, some asset in the field operating and us recording that operation. 
Um, one way or the other, it, it's just to record and look at that, that particular transaction. Once it's done, um, largely it, it, it goes unused. Um, you know, for forecasting, obviously, we, we do some of that work, um, but that's really a small, small use of the data. Um, and I think he's, he's right on in terms of how we want to look at data going forward is we don't want that data just to sit around. It's, it's frankly, it has enormous value to us. Um, and whether it's um, creating analytics for data in motion that are coming off the assets or from our customers so we, act, we react quickly to it, or whether it's looking at the data at rest after it's gone through its transaction, how do we create new insights off of it? Both are critically important, and frankly, I think part of the initial ramp up for uh, analytics initiatives at every company ought to be looking at how to use more and more of that data um, to create those valuable insights. And I believe personally that the more insights and value we create, the more that ratio will shift to higher and higher percentages of that data being used for insight. I, one thing that, uh, Christine, we saw a lot at Distributech was this idea of this digital twin. So kind of like this idealized model that runs alongside the actual diagnostic data um, that's coming in off of systems. How do you, what do you think this step means for the utility that the technology vendors are saying, how about we, we set up this platform that runs, um, that shows you data off of what you would expect to see um, this asset do under real conditions versus what what that asset is actually doing. What does this step mean for the utility industry? Yeah, I, I think it's a really important step um, in the sense that what it's going to do is allow us to start building better predictive asset models. Um, you know, on the one hand, that the, the digital side of that is predicting what the asset should do. And to the extent that that varies from what actually happens in reality, um, that's essentially uncovering an area where the model itself um, isn't either isn't quite accurate or doesn't quite cover all the, the potential um, um, impacts from, from what the asset's doing. And that allows us to refine those models, to make them more accurate, um, to get them um, to have deeper, clearer, and, and frankly, um, uh, uh, more effective or uh, perhaps um, uh, more accurate results um, than they would have had uh, prior to, to really setting up that mirrored image. Um, to me, that's really important. We, we want the business units uh, to really have confidence in the numbers and the analytics that are created. And without that sort of mirroring, it, it's just really not possible. Uh, the one word of caution I would give to that, though, is that, um, you know, you really want the math to be reusable and, and you don't want to do something which I think of as a Roach Motel analytics. You don't want to feed insights into it but or, or feed data into a, an engine but have difficulty getting the insights out or integrating them with the rest of your, uh, the rest of your systems. A lot of times I've seen these implementations that are specific just to one asset class or one vendor's particular technology, and that, that's probably not the way I would recommend we move forward. You definitely need the analytics, but you need to do it in a way that um, largely is neutral to which vendor or, or which asset is particularly being analyzed. I think we've seen a lot within the, the vendor community, just more of an emphasis on the ability to you know, partner with one another, um, you know, the interoperability. 
uh, it was interesting at Distribute Tech to see all the different partnerships that were that were taking place. And like you mentioned, Aaron, with the digital digital twin, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of those are just built off of you know different systems that really uh, were were working together. And it, it was pretty interesting to see. The asset management piece, I think, is is big for at least a lot of the research we've been doing. We've also been looking at the customer side as well. Um, but but that asset management piece in terms of, you know, how do you uh, best predict, you know, when an asset's going to fail to, you know, just planning for your, um, you know, asset fleets and and what those look like in the long run and also just valuing them, you know, beyond those pure kind of OM&M and, and replacement costs uh, are things that we're hearing a, a lot of people start to talk about. I mean, what are you working on within asset management? Has that has that been a focus up to this point? Or, I mean, it sounded like there was a lot around the customer piece, um, but I think that asset management, I always hear that come up again and again. So I thought I'd ask about that. Yeah, yeah, certainly that's, that's also on our, um, you know, on those long 142 uh, set of use cases. <laughs> uh, creating predictive uh, models for assets is, is, uh, is clearly in there. Uh, there's a lot in there on that space. Um, to us, those are are, are critical um, uh, analytics to begin standing up. Uh, for us, uh, you know, I'll say the other big thing that's that's part of that is really getting rich data sets. Um, you know, a asset performance is one thing. The sensors um, and really the entire network of, of data that may be around it is almost just as important uh, to note because. Um, you know, the asset works as part of a bigger ecosystem, whether it's in a power plant, whether it's on the grid or whatnot, they're all working together. Um, and to really build those insights, often you need to pull in data sets from other areas that perhaps weren't intuitively obvious when you began the process, um, when you were just looking at the asset itself. Um, and that's why I mentioned um, that when we think about this, we think about the whole ecosystem of data, not just um, an asset or, uh, you know, an area, uh, we, we really think more holistically about it. And it's caused us to have to do some interesting things to augment our data, whether it's weather data or whether it's customer data or asset data. Um, it's the, this whole process of thinking about how to build insights um, really identified a bunch of gaps that we had. Um, and that's just as important in terms of getting the right tools um, or the right, uh, you know, analytics built. It's what other data are you going to bring in um, and match up with with the in-house data that you have to create the insight. Talking about that kind of uh, collection of data and top-down decision making. Uh, here's a here's another quote from you, Rayford, that I thought was really interesting. You said, "As leaders, we tend to focus on keeping the train running. However, well-intended governance choices based on tactical myopic needs can restrict future growth if not aligned property with the need for flexibility. Similarly, lack of governance means data will be insecure or of low quality. Even with ideal tools and data federation, bad governance can make an electric company's analytics journey a very short and unproductive trip. So how do leaders balance having an analytic system that is if, that is efficient and and secure? H how do you set up this kind of system without taking unnecessary risks with people's data? Right. Uh, so at least I think there are two main principles, maybe three in here that, that really um, 
I'd like to tease out. The first one is obviously the enterprise focus. Um, you know, you, you pursue the enterprise focus because you want to have the ability to mix and match data um, from different disparate sources, but also um, to just reduce your overall costs and improve your ROI for the analytics platform. That's really key to this. Additionally, um, the, the next piece to that is is really the standards-based and um, industry-accepted tools. Um, for us, it's as much about getting human capital in um, that is trained on these capabilities. Um, it's easy when you know, you're picking tools and solutions that are in use in healthcare and oil and gas, in the utility industry, in automotive and other spaces, banking. Um, these, you, you, those tools, the innovation that goes in them and the human capital behind them are much greater. Um, for us also, the third principle that really is teased out of this is that there's a lot of very unsexy stuff that has to happen with analytics like governance. Um, but if you don't do it with the, the need for flexibility in mind, um, because there's always going to be another question, there's always going to be yet another insight that needs to be developed. And you can't think about this in the traditional way of, let me just box, you know, put in the box all the requirements and the things I'm going to do with analytics, and let's build to that. You have to build with the humility and the recognition that you won't know all the things you need to do with it, and you need the flexibility to continually pivot, whether it's for new data, whether it's to uh, govern the data in a way that makes sense out of the data for some new insight, um, or whether it's to create some new ability. You're going to constantly be changing and shifting um, in that agile process. Um, if you don't think about that up front and build towards that, um, you're going to run into roadblocks and costs a lot faster, and your life's going to be a lot more difficult as you try and change to you know, answering the next question that comes. I think the flexibility piece is is, is important, but I just one just one technical question uh, based on your first point when you were talking about thinking about the ROI for data analytics. How do you demonstrate ROI with data analytics, given that it's not like operations based and it's a little more abstract? Uh, this this is probably more a question just for me because I I don't fully understand it. Yeah, I mean, so uh, demonstrating the ROI is really all predicated on actually how you do your use cases. Um, to us, it's it's actually a, a multi-stage process. The first is the workshop itself with the business unit, where you attempt to identify pain points, where's their data, and where the hidden talent and data factories within that group may exist. Uh, once you do that, you'll eventually narrow down to a series of use cases and an order in which you need to prosecute them. Um, when you do each use case, um, you'll do a much deeper dive with the business unit to say exactly what benefit do we think is really going to be derived from this. And it should be thinking well beyond just O&M cost savings. It should be everything about operational metrics, whether it's safety or the performance of the assets. Um, it should be about our customers. It should be both tangible and um, somewhat uh, qualitative benefits to derive from it. When you enumerate all that in the beginning, that effectively becomes the target of benefits that you're shooting for by achieving the use case. Um, and as you um, build out the analytic and test and validate against those, um, 
assumptions, you should have the data um, and certainly the mechanism to report out uh, the benefits associated with the use cases. To me, the overarching way for analytics to work is the costs or the tools, the getting getting the data, putting the data in a format and structure and governance that makes sense relative to the use case. And then the use cases themselves create all the benefits. And once you're looking at cost and benefit that way, um, the use cases themselves start to show a lot of both quantitative and qualitative benefits to the organization that you should have already documented um, through your use case prosecution effort. It seems like some of the subtext of what you're saying is is that uh, the technology's here and we're doing our best to work it to its full potential. And the most important thing is not to misuse it and not to screw up implementation of it rather than what some people have expressed uh, like concerns over the over the technology itself. Is that kind of an accurate assessment of what you're saying? Yeah, I, I might say it a, a little differently, which is to say that the technology is going to continue to evolve, um, but so are the use cases. And the key concept we need to really embrace here is to, uh, as one of my uh, former bosses used to say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, it's not so much about the technology widgets. It's about having a, a good architecture that enables flexibility um, because you're not going to be able to forecast all the use cases and where the analytics journey may take you. Um, just as much as um, when we think about internally, it's really more about the change management exercise, um, about using analytics to create insights to change, uh, delete, or add processes to the organization, at the end of the day, you know, we still need to, you know, run our business, but using analytics can really help us create um, an entirely new set of ways to do that. And it's really more about the change process than it is about the, the widgets from the technology. See, I don't like that answer because I like the widgets. Uh, there, <laughs> I, I want more... James Bond laser pens and things at conventions because <laughs> uh, when well, we were at Distributech, it was all yeah, it was all the... it was all platforms and systems. When I really want something cool to put in a to put on a splash page of an article. Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you one of the interesting things we've we've done. Um, at least I I think it's interesting is to to give that uh, you know that aura of excitement around what we're doing because at the end of the day, an analytic is. It's really just a math model, right? Um, well, how do you get people hyped about math models? So we, we actually engaged our, our corporate communications and uh, graphics design folks to build little animations, uh, cute animations that go with the, uh, with the analytic um, so that we have a nice, easy 15-second snapshot to explain to people what that is and what it does um, as a way to kind of internally market um, the, the analytic itself. Um, because saying, hey, I'm building a next best offer analytics uh, or, you know, something to forecast um, customer bills just doesn't really set the world on fire. But if you put some pizzazz around it and make it a cute animation, um, it's amazing how many people will get behind it. It seems like there's definitely a, there can be that gap, um, you know, between people who are really doing a lot of the heavy, you know, data analytics, data scientists, mathematicians, I mean, all of that, that that group 
and then people who are actually using it every day, right? So um, it, it just seems like there's a bit, there can be that significant gap. So that's, that's pretty cool to see that you're, um, you know, try and find ways to better communicate it. And I think within Z prime, you know, we've definitely tried to, to do that as well, just breaking down some of these really big, big concepts, um, you know, around data and analytics and, you know, customer engagement and all those sorts of things. And, you know, how can you best make it, uh, digestible for people? Um, we'll, we'll work on the laser pen, Dylan. We'll, we'll get you one of those one day. One of our key principles within uh, our group is um, that we don't ultimately want to own the analytics. We're not, we're not setting up a shop to own analytics. Part of our mission is to, as we create the analytic, is to get the business unit to own it. They'll own the results, um, which makes the benefit side far more uh, relatable um, as well as tangible, you know, because they're going to own it. Um, but similarly, you know, this is really all about change. And frankly, if if we build and own forever those analytics, we're not helping the business units themselves become better enabled with analytics. So we also have a, a rather significant budget for training um, to really help the business units and the identified sponsors of the use cases um, so that it's not like a hand grenade when we're tossing an analytic from, you know, the development into production. Instead, we want them to readily accept it and run with it. Training, um, a lot of the marketing around that use case and the ongoing benefits realization, all that is, there are a lot of soft skills to make that happen. But at the end of the day, it's all designed to really affect change. And I think, it, I mean, the approach that you're taking is is definitely things that I've heard echoed in in the industry of, I mean, change management isn't just once it's all done, handing it off to people and saying, here's the training about it, right? Uh, you were talking about doing the workshops and, you know, really getting that feedback from people. So they're, they're part of that whole process. Uh, that, that just seems to be huge with the acceptance and, and really understanding where things are, are going within the organization. I don't think it should be that difficult to sell people on uh, to sell people on analytics, because even though it is math and math is boring, the uh, as you say, these these use cases can continue to kind of prove value and will continue to do so. My next question is for Aaron Hardick. Would you say that energy professionals as a whole are nerds? Ooh, that's a tough question. <laughs> I don't know because, because I actually was recently called a nerd last week and I didn't think I was a nerd. So since I work in the energy industry, does that make me a nerd now? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think there's as many nerds as there are in energy. I think there's as many nerds in energy as there really are in any other, um, I guess, industry. I think right now there's just such a focus on analytics given the digital transformation that things like math models and um, analytics, it just the nerdiest parts of the industry are put, being put on the spotlight right now. So I don't think that there's like an overwhelming amount of nerds in energy. Um you know, there are a lot of engineers. I don't know if you consider engineers nerds, but no, I wouldn't say that there's more um, than than any other industry. What about Christine? Um, I mean, it I, it would depend on how you define nerd and and what that includes. No, uh, I wasn't. 
I wasn't asking you. I was asking Aaron, what about Christine? Isn't oh. she a giant nerd? Oh, yeah. Christine is definitely a nerd. Both um, her and her husband are nerds. They're nerds together. So, yes, Christine is a nerd. That is beautiful. That is that is the sweetest thing. <laughs> I was just kidding, Christine. What, what, what were you going to say? Um, well, I, I'm, I'm proud to be a nerd um, and to be about excited uh, about what I think are very interesting topics that are very fundamental to our, our society. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, I wondered the definition of what you meant by nerd, just people who like math. I mean, that seems like that would include most people in, in the utility industry. Christine, what is, um, we were at, I think it was one of the smart grid summits and Seth sent you flowers and there was a note about like the end of the world. Do you remember what I'm talking about? He was like plot twist, like the cloud plot twist, the cloud has acid rain and takes over the world. What was that? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I was at an event in in D.C. And occasionally my husband, Seth, will send me flowers to my hotel room. And they will not include notes like, I love you. Hope you're having a great time at the conference. I miss you. It was, oh, I'll have to find it because it was, all it said was, you know, dystopian future. AI takes over cloud technologies or something like that to um, mess with carbon emissions. It was just some, it was some random statement and that's all it said. It didn't say anything else. And so I can only imagine the florist uh, printing that out and putting it in a card to, to give to someone. Um, so if that doesn't, if that doesn't finalize that Christine is a nerd, I don't know what else does. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> What about you, Rayford? Am I a nerd or is Christine a nerd? <laughs> I'd like to hear both of those answers, actually. <laughs> well, it, uh, honestly, if, if Christine and her husband were both nerds, I think that would make them nerd squared. <laughs> and if we're really going for the, the full-on nerd that effect. Just proved, that just proved that Rayford is a nerd. Right? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, and that also solidifies my nerd status. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's good because that lets me transition into into my next question for you, Rayford. Uh, because one thing that really surprised me uh, in going through your your writing, as an aside, I actually really like the way you uh, you have a very prescriptive form of writing. As as an editor, that I, I like that. But one of the things that surprised me reading your articles was. Um, this sort of was this uh it seemed like you had a somewhat of a cynical interpretation of the ending of the novel great expectations by charles dickens because he said uh if you've read the cl classic novel great expectations you'll realize uh that plot twists result in both great opportunities and inevitable surprises uh as you launch or grow an analytics initiative do not follow the lead of charles dickens characters um so what I take that to mean is you're saying that you 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 feel that uh, Pip's discovery that Estella was a pawn in a cruel game at his exp at his expense ultimately sort of uh, invalidated his journey his his journey of uh, this e education and education and work for money to be able to marry her and so you see it as kind of a tragic end and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this but uh, but I always felt that the point of the novel was that 
he didn't actually need Estella. The betterment, the betterment of himself was inherently valuable as seen by the way he helps the escaped convict. So even though the thing he set out to do, uh, he, even though he doesn't end up with Estella, the journey made, made the whole thing worth it. Do you, do you disagree with that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the way I, I was trying to shoot for there was that both interpretations are a possible outcome. Um, and that um, it, the advice I was giving in the, in the column was as much cautionary tale um, as well as exciting opportunity, and that uh, you know, I was kind of hoping that the uh, the surprise portion of, and the interpretation portion using Dickens' novel um, wouldn't be lost on the reader in the sense that um, you know you, you you could kind of get the the negative or the more cynical view of it. Um, you know, if if perhaps uh, uh, the advice wasn't followed exactly, um, or you could get the positive outcome. Um, and that it was really the vagary of the interpretation that I was trying to call attention to here, and that um, you have an equal opportunity for either outcome to, based on uh, based on how you implement your analytics. I hope no one is upset that I spoiled the ending of Great Expectations, but I mean the book came out in 1861, so if you haven't fi- if you haven't heard by now, I'm I'm sorry. Well, that should uh, that should revoke my nerd card then, right? If I'm if I'm citing uh, Dickens. <laughs> But you did it as it relates to analytics. So, I mean, that's that's definitely kind of nerdy. But it's cool to to make it that way. Um, well, I need to give a shout out to the liberal arts majors out there. Yeah, we need to have you join. We have a Z Prime book club that we do where we just read books and about energy, AI, all those sorts of things. Um, maybe next we need to read a Charles Dickens book and talk about how it relates to um, the journey that that utilities are on right now. Or Rayford, have you read any books lately around, you know, tech energy that you would suggest for RZ Prime mm. Book Club? Yeah. Oh gosh, uh, I really like uh, Altered Carbon. Uh, that was good. There's also a Netflix series. Um, there are a series of books there, and also I read uh, uh, Seven Eves, which is another really good one if you like um, technology or science fiction in either space. Both of those are. are the first one's a, a, a series of three novels, and the second one's just an individual novel, but they're both uh, really great reads uh, if you like those. So so we've read, you know, two books that were really focused on energy and electricity, and then um, you know, our most recent book, the Philip K. Dick book, um, is more sci-fi related. So we're kind of just all over the, the spectrum um, in our book club. Well, hey, there's a there's an interesting one on analytics you might try. It's called The Signal and the Noise. It's by Nate Silver. Yeah. Nate Silver. Yeah, wow. Nate's awesome. Um, but but this book is uh, it's an interesting read. It's all about predictions and predictive science, um, and and why they sometimes they go right and sometimes they go they go wrong. So uh, yeah, it, certainly I would I would uh, I'd give that a, a strong shout out. That's a good one to read. Well, thank you. We're always trying to you know find new books to read. Um, so thank you for that. I've read that book. It's it's pretty good. I listen to I listen to Nate Silver's podcast. I guess so. Now we're all clear on my nerd status. Well, we moved too far away from Great Expectations. This whole list of Great Expectations questions I had written down are just <laughs> shot now. So I think that's a pretty good place to wrap up for now. I would like to thank you, Rayford, for coming on. It was a very lively discussion on analytics and. I really feel I learned a lot. Excellent. Thank you all for having me. I, I certainly appreciate the opportunity.
And I'd like to thank my uh, co-hosts, uh, Christine and Aaron. Thank you, Christine. Thanks, Dylan. We we didn't get to ask Rayford though whether he likes Star Wars or Star Trek. We're not. I'm, I'm conducting a poll there. Oh, oh gosh, um, that's like trying to pick your favorite child, isn't it? <sighs> okay. <laughs> All right. Christine, Christine is determined <laughs> to turn this podcast into Star Wars and Star Trek. I, I, I just want to know. I, I've realized how passionate people are about this. So it, it doesn't have to consume every podcast. I, I just wanted to do a quick poll of Rayford. That's all. Uh, we can move on. You just like haven't even seen Star Wars. I've seen Star Wars. Oh, you haven't don't, seen Don't get sidetracked, Dylan. Don't Sorry. get sidetracked. Uh, there's someone else on this podcast. Aaron. Right. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for being on, Aaron. Thank you, Dylan. <laughs> I had a great time. So as always, you can find our research and articles and all of our stuff at etsinsights.com. You can find us on social media at D.Y. Lockwood, at H.C. underscore Richards, and at Aaron underscore Hardick, and Z Prime overall at Z Prime underscore Research. So thank you for listening. My name is Dylan. We will see you next time. <laughs>